Acts chapter 10, and read from verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed always to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose, name, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel spoke to him, had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near you know, to the city, you know, Peter went up on the household on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened, and an object like a great sheet bound at four corners descending to him and led down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the man who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about this vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, Go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. May God bless his word you know, to us as we come to look at that. Let's pray together. Verse 23. Then he, that is Peter, invited them in and lodged with them. 
On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and had called together his relatives and close <coughs> friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jew to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. And your arms have been remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon Etana by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the commands all that God has commanded you. <clears throat> then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with power, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witnessed that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all you know, who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speaking with tongues and magnified God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that this, should not be, that this should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? 
And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And they, were, and they asked him to stay a few days. So read, you know, God's holy word. We come to prayer once again, and then um, we'll sing again. Let's pray. Acts chapter 10. <clears throat> I think one of the questions that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must keep asking and keep addressing is, what is a Christian? It's the most important question because where we spend eternity depends very much on what we understand a Christian to be. Now, the popular definition of a Christian, which majority of the people you know, believe is um, a Christian is someone you know who lives a good life and helps others as much as possible. They don't hurt anyone. They give to charity. They are sincere. They go to church and live by the golden rule. Do to others as you will have them do to you. I'm sure you will agree with me. I think this is what most people understand a Christian to be. Churches are full of such people. Now, in my work, we talk to all kinds of people about, um, about Christ and so on. And we've spoken to a number of um, Anglican vicars and Catholic priests who tell us that a Christian is somebody who lives a good life and does their best. That's how they understand a Christian to be. Now, is that definition right? Is that the you know, image we've painted of what a Christian is supposed to be? Is it right? Now, I want to explore you know, this definition this morning, which is why I have read to you Acts chapter 10 in the story of this man, Cornelius. I believe that this man, Cornelius, can help us to understand you know, that question, what is a Christian? Now, Acts chapter 10 gives us details about the life of this man, Cornelius. He was a Roman citizen, and he was a Gentile. And we're told that this man, in verse 2, was a devout man. He was a devout man. He was a pious man. As a Roman citizen... He was not allowed you know, to follow other religion other than the idol worship you know, which you know, Romans were expected you know, to worship. However, living among the Jews, this man Cornelius has learned from the Jews you know, to worship the true God. And he has abandoned the worship of idols. He read or he heard the Jewish scriptures read in the synagogue. And he developed a very high moral standards. He was a godly man. And his godliness you know, shows up in five different ways in our text. Look at it with me. First of all, we're told in verse 2 that he was a man who feared God with all his household. To fear God is to fear, you know, to offend God, which is a sign of a righteous man. This man, Cornelius, feared to do anything that will offend God. 
He was a good family man who sought the spiritual welfare of his household. He was a good example to them. He trained them to revere God. Cornelius, the fear of God was attested by others as well, as we read in verse 22. When, you know, when they went to him, when they went to Peter, they said this of Cornelius, that he was, you know, he was a just man who fears God. He fears God. His fear of God is well known among the people. He had a great respect and reverence for God. Secondly, we told, you know, that um, he gave arms liberally to the people. He was a man who gave generously to relieve the needs of the poor people around him. His job and position allowed him to be kind and generous in his giving. Hypocrites sometimes give to the poor that they might be praised. That people might think well of them. You have example in the scriptures, Ananias and Sapphira. They sold a piece of land and they came. They brought a, you know, just a little bit of it to the apostles. They wanted to be praised and so on. But not this man, Cornelius. You know, his heart was touched by the poverty of the people around him. And in those days, there were lots and lots of poor people. Majority of the Christians were slaves and very poor. And this man was touched by their plight. And he gave to relieve them of their poverty. He was moved, you know, to give. And he gave to the Jews as well as to the Gentiles. Thirdly, we told, again, still in verse 2, and this man prayed constantly to God. This man prayed always to God. His godliness shows in the fact that he spent a lot of time with God. He had a habit of secret prayer. He prayed always and was forever in the spirit and in the act of prayer. He was serious and earnest in his prayer. There's nothing cold or mechanical about the prayer of this man. Like the Jews, he kept the appointed times of prayer. In fact, when um, you know, when um, When God, you know, met with him and spoke to him, he was actually in prayer. He was fasting and praying at the ninth hour. Such was his prayer life, always praying. Strangely, Cornelius knew nothing at all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He only knew about the Jewish religion. Though a devout man, yet he knew deep down that some, somehow Something was still missing in his life. And he would have prayed constantly that God would show him what was missing in his life. Fourthly, you know, we're told that this man in verse 22 was an upright man, verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, Cornelius, a centurion, a just man, an upright man, he was. With no stain on his character. He observed you know, the rules of God. And he observed you know, the laws of man. He was a man that can be trusted. 
It was the kind of man that would pay his tax, will not try to evade or you know, try and dodge tax. He was the kind of man that would pay his workers the right wage. He was the kind of man that would put in the number of hours that he was employed you know, to, to work. And he was very fair in his dealings you know, with men, very honest and very considerate. Fifthly, you know, we're told still in verse 22 <clears throat> that um, he was well spoken of you know, by the entire Jewish nation. Here's a Gentile. And you know how Jews and Gentiles are. The Jews don't like the Gentiles. And yet, this man has a very good reputation among the whole Jewish nation. Now that's quite something. What a testimony that was. He was a fine man who made use of the light that he had. <clears throat> he diligently practiced the will of God as it has been revealed to him. He was earnest in his prayer, as we have said. He was pure and reverent in his life. He was honest and upright in business. Every aspect of his life was ordered according to the rule which God has laid down you know, for us. But we have to ask the question. After, after everything we've said about this man, is he a Christian? Was Cornelius a Christian, you will think? Did all these things that he did, which is, you know, really incredible, did they make him a Christian? Now, if we go by popular definition of a Christian, as we have um, been, you know, um, saying, we will definitely conclude that this man was definitely a Christian. The Bible makes it clear, though, that the things that we do, our good deeds, our good works, however noble they may be, will not make us a Christian or save us. The Bible is very clear about that. This is because our good deeds, like that of Cornelius, does not deal with our greatest problem. It does not meet our greatest need, the problem of our sin, you know, which separates us from God. This is our greatest problem, our sin problem. And no amount of good deeds, no number of you know, good um, deeds will ever, ever you know, make us Christians. You will notice in verse 4 that God commended Cornelius. Verse 4. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God. God commended this man for the way he lived. And for all the things that he did. What does that mean? What does that mean when God says to him, your prayers and your arms have come up for a memorial before God? What does that mean? Well, it simply means that God has taken notice of Cornelius' prayers and the care for the people. God always hears sincere prayers and takes notice of the things that we do. It also means that God remembered you know, these things, a memorial before God. God remembers everything that Cornelius did, and God has taken notice of them. 
But God did not say to Cornelius, carry on the way you are and everything will be fine. No. God did not say that to him. If good deeds could save us, that's exactly what God would have said to Cornelius. Carry on the way you are and you'll be fine. But God didn't say that. Instead, he was told to send for Peter. And by this, God was indicating that there was something more needed in Cornelius' life, which he needed to know. And when Peter comes, Peter will tell him what he needed to know. There's one way, and only one way, for anyone to become a Christian. There's only one way for anyone to be saved, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very emphatic about this, and leaves no one in any doubt about it. The Lord Jesus Christ himself said it, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. There's no bypassing the cross you know, to get to Christ. All our good works will never, never save us. Your coming to church will never, never save you. And nothing you do will ever save you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 12, it says there's no salvation in anyone else. There's no other name given whereby we must be saved. Now God uses an imperative there. We must be saved, but how? Only through the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1.15 It's a faithful saying, worthy of full acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world. What for? To save sinners. He is the only one that can save us. Nothing else. The Lord Jesus Christ is the only one that can save us. And that is why Peter, when he got to Cornelius' house, he simply preached Christ to them. He simply told them about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did. He talked about the things that Cornelius and others needed to know and what every one of us needs to know. So what did Peter say about the Lord Jesus Christ to Cornelius and all those gathered together? We have it here in the text that we just read, verse 36. Peter opened his mouth and he began to teach them about the Lord Jesus Christ. He talked about Jesus' ministry. He told them that Christ was the promised Messiah, the one that was anointed to be the redeemer of the world. He then, you know, talked about the miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ as proof that he was the Messiah. Tell them that Christ, you know, healed the sick, healed those who are possessed of the de- of the of demons, raised the dead, you know, gave the sight their blind, gave the blind their sight, you know, healed people with leprosy, and fed five thousand people with just a few of and two fishes. These miracles point to him you know, as God in the flesh so that people may believe on him. That's what John tells us in John chapter 20 and verse 31. And then he went on to talk about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 39. He tells them, 
says, we are witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Talked about the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter will have, you know, um, you know told them all that, you know, the, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ meant. That the main reason for our Lord coming into the world was to save sinners. Matthew 1.21 You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ came into this world. And then in verse 40, he told them that although they killed Jesus, Jesus was you know, raised from the dead. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. They killed him, but God raised him from the dead and caused him to be seen you know, by the apostles and others. They ate and they drank with him, and he was with them after he was raised from the dead. His resurrection showed that God had accepted his sacrifice for sinners. Sin has been fully paid for in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has borne the punishment of our sin and paid the penalty of our sins. The way is now opened for you and I to come you know, to God. The way to heaven is opened for you and I to enter in. There's only one way to enter and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But then, you know, Peter hadn't finished because he went on to talk about, you know, God's judgment. Verse 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is, who, it, it, is, it is he who was ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. A day of judgment is coming. This same Jesus who died and was raised is the one whom God has appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All, every human being on that day, you know, will come before God. No one will be missing. There's no way you can escape. You and I must stand, you know, before God to give account of what we've done with our lives. To give account of what we've done with the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. No one would escape God's judgment. One day, our Lord will judge the world. I repeat it again because it's very important for us to know. Things will not continue like this forever. The day will come when the world will end. The day will come when you and I will die. And the day will come when we'll stand before God. Paul makes that very clear in Acts 17. Says God has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and he has given proof of this by raising him from the dead. Judgment is coming to you and I. Now, in trying to live a good life to please God, Cornelius had not come to terms with the fact of his sin. People who try to please God by what they do never seriously consider their sins because they think they are good people. 
their so-called good deeds blind them to their true condition before God. The Bible tells us that we are all sinners. Every single one of us. That we are all sinners. Psalm 51 verse 5. Paul, you know, um, you know, um, the psalmist, you know, um, writes and says that, um, you know, I was shaping in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Very true. Very true. We came into this world as sinners. It was not when you were eight years old or 20 years old or 50 years old that you began to sin. No. The sins that you and I commit today, you know, has its root way back in our conception. We're all sinners. The Bible is full of it. I'm sure I can, you know, delay you here, you know, by, you know, expanding on this for a long time. But I'm not going to do that. This was something that Cornelius had to come to terms with, that he was a sinner. Our sin, you know, makes us guilty before God. And places us under the wrath and the judgment of God. Cornelius did not know this and needed to hear it. The death of our Lord Jesus Christ is the only answer to our sin problem. That was why Peter talked about it when he got to Cornelius. Peter would have told them, all those gathered, that our Lord Jesus Christ paid the penalty you know, for sin when he died on the cross, that he took their punishment upon himself and that is the only way they could be saved from sin. It's the only way for you and I to be saved from our sins and not by what we do. What we do will never, never save us. The Bible is very, very clear about that. We read in... um, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, you know, Paul, you know, writing to those who, you know, have um, come to know God, says, for by grace you have been saved. And that, not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not of works, not by our good deeds. No. It's a gift of God. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, it says, but according to his mercy he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It is not by what we do. It will never be by what we do. Everything we do on the outside, does not address, does not change what we are inside. We have a sinful nature, a nature that has to be renewed, or else, you know, we will perish. God is holy, and nothing unclean will ever come before God. So if we are going to, um, going to get to heaven, we must be holy, or else we won't get there. Cornelius needed to hear it, and so do we. And Peter went on, you know, to um, to tell them about God's forgiveness in verse forty-three. He says, "To him, all the prophets bear witness 
that through his name, whoever you know, believes in him will receive remission of sins. What a gracious God we have. A God that saw us in a, in a you know, difficult situation and sent his son you know, to deal with our situation. Those who have come to realize that they are sinners before God. That there's nothing they can do to save themselves from their sins. And have cast themselves upon the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Trusting in him alone will receive forgiveness and cleansing from their sins. The Bible tells us that. And God will cleanse us from our sins when we trust in him. He will renew our nature. He will give us a fresh start in life. Listen to what God says to Isaiah. You know, and um, when speaking to you know, the, the, the Jews, come now, he says, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God promises to cleanse them from their sins if they will repent of their sins and they put their trust in him. 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To cleanse us, to renew us, to give us a new nature without which we cannot see God. God is a gracious God. God has done everything necessary for our salvation. Cornelius needed to hear what Paul, sorry, what Peter, you know, said to him. And we told in verse 44 <clears throat> that while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Ghost fell upon all those who were there. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and they believed and they were baptized. And so the spiritual yearning of Cornelius was fulfilled. He heard that which satisfied the deep desires of his heart. And so we answer our question. Giving to charity. Coming to church. Being a nice person, helping our neighbors and so on, we've seen they wouldn't bring us to Christ. They wouldn't save us. They wouldn't make us Christians. There's only one thing, that's the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. That's why he left heaven. That's why he came into this world to die for sinners. Every time I think about that, Every time I think about that, I'm almost in tears. To think that the Son of God left heaven and came into this world and suffered so much for someone like me. I can't ignore it, my friends. I cannot ignore it. People get upset 
when they hear that God is going to judge people and God will cast some people into it, they get upset. You know, think about what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about all the pain and agony that he went through when he came. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, if we ignore all that, we cannot blame God for what happens to us. I appeal to you as you sit before me. Your eternal destiny depends very much upon what we are saying. What will God do? What else can God do to convince you that this is your situation? That this is the only hope that you have? What more can God do? Ask yourself that question. Why do you resist God? Why will you not come to him? Why will you not come to him? You must give up trying to earn your salvation by good works. What you do. No, it won't help you. You will never make it. It did not save Cornelius with everything that he did. And it will not save you either. The hymn that we sang just now. You know says. I wonder if you, you know, thought about it as you sang this. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy lost demands. Could my zeal no respite know he says. Could my tears forever flow. All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Jesus Christ is our only hope. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. That is your hope. That is my hope. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Turn to him today. Throw yourself at the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who died to save sinners. Plead with him. Confess your sins to him. And, you know, and um, you know, come to him you know, simply trusting in what he did for you. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you. And he will. Beg him to become your savior and to make you his child. This, my friends, is your greatest need. Please don't dismiss it and just carry on the way you've always been. Please, I beg you, with all the love in my heart, don't dismiss it. Don't just carry on. Don't say I'm too young or I'm too old or whatever. No, this is your chance. This is the only thing that will save you. Remember, as a day of judgment to come. I beg you to cast yourself upon the Lord. Sincerely confess your sins to him. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will give you a new life. And I beg you, do not delay. Tomorrow, 